Good morning, everybody. Um, hey, this is a great, great day for you to be here. I'm glad you guys are here. If you didn't know, the 30-hour famine ended last night. So if you see any teenagers sitting like this, they were probably at the 30-hour famine. Um, they raised $1,700 and had 54 people sleeping on the streets. And yeah, give them a big hand. It was really, really cool. Did a great job. Did a great job. Let's see, where are they over here? Yeah, there's a couple I see down here. Um, Hey, there's a great ministry opportunity that is available. Um, you know, every week we have some really cool families that uh, attend church here from Acres of Diamonds, but they don't have transportation. And um, so we need a family that's willing to go there. Oh, yeah. That's the vehicle you get to use. No. You have to furnish your own vehicle. And it would probably be better having a Suburban than something quite like that. But um, if you come to Second Service... Uh, regularly and can pick up, pick them up like at uh, 10 minutes before service and then bring them back right afterward. That would be an awesome, awesome ministry for your family. Um, there's usually uh, half a dozen people from Acres of Diamonds that come here, so I would really encourage you to do that if you can. Um, let's see. Uh, tomorrow night at 7 o'clock is Think Tank, and Think Tank is our workshop to help us better be able to share our faith. So if you are awesome, if you just just take names, sharing faith, I need you to come because you need to help the rest of us. And if you're not great at sharing your faith, you need to come because we'll help you, help you get maybe more comfortable. And if you're somewhere in between, you should be there as well. So I'm pretty sure that covers everybody in the room. So tomorrow, 7 o'clock at the Hub Think Tank. We'd love to have you there. Then two weeks from day, today is what? That's right. Very excited. It's Easter. <laughs> it is Easter. Um, encourage you to be inviting your friends. If you really think about it, most people, you know, the people say, I go to church religiously every Christmas and Easter. Those people need to be invited by you to come here. We're, we're having our two services as normal. And um, in, the, uh, in the connection and on the website, you can actually get a, an image that you can put on your Facebook page, like to replace your banner that'll kind of advertise that if you're over 30 and are still on Facebook. Um, you could do that. Um, otherwise, just a personal invite would be great for all your neighbors. And then the Friday before, of course, it's Good Friday at 7 o'clock right here in the theater. We're going to have, um, have service as well. So this will be a really, really cool time coming up. So now I get to introduce um, a, a dear friend of mine, Rick Bunch. He came all the way from Kauai to be with us this morning. And Rick um, played an, an instrumental piece in um, me um, being in the ministry and he's an amazing guy. I used to tell my youth workers, look, if you're over 23, don't worry about being cool because you're not going to do it, so don't worry about it. Rick is one of the exceptions to that rule because he is super cool. He's like a surfer. He's a professional illustrator. He's a pastor. He lectures all over the world, and he's published like 14 books. And, of course, really high up on his list is to come and, and talk to Redemption Church every year. So with that, I would like you guys—oh, one more thing, one more thing. I'm sorry. He also brought some of his latest book, which is awesome. This is a really, really great book for anybody that takes their faith seriously or would like to kind of examine your faith in a little different light. Rick is great with that. Um, we have a bunch of these out there that you can, you can grab if you want to make a donation. Cool. If you just want to grab one, grab one. But please welcome Rick. Came all the way from Kauai to share with us this morning. that work? Oh, yeah. Ooh, wonderful how that happens. Um, great to be back with you guys. I was here, I was here last year about this time, um, and, and you guys were doing like a theme thing, you know, and I sort of landed on the Sunday where the theme was money, so I got to talk about money, which is cool because no pastor wants to talk to his own flock about money, right? So the pastor had me talk about money, and he left for the Sunday morning. He blew off, blew out of Dodge so that so that uh, I could say all the things that he wanted me to say without him being here. Um, but it's great to be back and be able to share with you a little bit. Um, I, I've actually been on the road for a while I, visiting other kind of other worlds. I was in a place called Christmas Island. Does that ring a bell to any of you? Uh, okay, probably a fisherman if, if you know about fisherman, Christmas Island. It's a little island about three hours <clears throat> straight south from Honolulu. And a completely different world. I, it was really mind-blowing. It's a beautiful, tropical place but very third world, very primitive. And so I was hanging out with them, ended up then in Honolulu for another conference and come to Seattle, um, you know, just to see if you actually can see the sun here, which 
Um, once in a while you can, apparently. Um, and kind of hang out with you guys and then uh, head home to, uh, uh, tomorrow. My wife, at the same time, she took off. Um, she, went, she went down to Thailand. She's a dentist. She went down to Thailand to, to uh, do dental missions. And we left the same day. And I, I, I went with 14 guys on a surf trip. So he tells you who the spiritual one is in our family. Um, but it's really fun to be back with you guys and to share with you a little bit. And I, and I want to just, you know, um, tell you a little bit about uh, some some thoughts that I've been having, some things that have sort of been the mission of mine, um, connected with the, with the church and with people outside the church, about how, how it is that we ought to be re-examining and rethinking who we are, how we behave, how we think as believers. So I'm um, just going to hopefully prod you a little bit, maybe have a little bit of fun with you, because we, we live in a, in a world that's really mixed up. It's, it's a clash, really is a clash of cultures. And uh, my wife and I have been married, uh, we've been married 25 years, and, and we were trying to figure out where we're going to go. You know, when you live in Hawaii, where do you go for your 25th wedding anniversary? <laughs> we go, somebody goes, you could go to Belize or someplace like that. And I go, you mean like someplace warm and tropical? And it doesn't, doesn't really work. But what's interesting is that uh, as I was thinking about our, our time, you know, getting married, because we came from two different cultures, she is uh, fourth generation Japanese, which means four generations in Hawaii, but from Japanese descent. And she was the first one of her entire family ever to marry outside of her culture, okay, which we didn't think was going to be a big deal. <laughs> because after all, she's really an American, right? Really an American. Because four generations in America, she ought to be an American, but there was a lot of Japanese left in her. And I found that out uh, during our first fight, okay? We don't have a ton of them, but... But this one was really interesting, the very first one, because it was about rice. Now, I come from, you know, I, where I was raised in Southern California, we ate rice, but mostly you eat potatoes. You guys are probably more potatoes than rice people, right? And um, in, in Oriental cultures, of course, it's all about rice, particularly sticky rice. I get that. I understand that. I've been living in Hawaii for a while. I understand that we, we do things different there, and... Um, we take off our shoes and we go into the house. You know, if you go to a funeral, you, you always take an envelope with money in and stuff. And, and at, every, at every event, there's always a giant pot of rice. Okay, fine. So we get married and, and um, the rice cooker's going away. When you get married, you get about 100 rice cookers too. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we get the rice cookers going off. And, and so scoop out the rice. And I don't know if you guys know this, but I sat down, um, you know, with my food my rice, and I grabbed a bottle of shoyu, soy sauce, and I started pouring it all over my rice. My wife goes, what are you doing? I'm pouring shoyu on my rice? She goes, you can't do that. Why? <laughs> we had never apparently discussed this in any premarital counseling we went through. You know, it just, it just <laughs> didn't seem like something that was going to be an issue. She goes, and she goes, she actually says, it's wrong. Whoa, I just crossed into moral, moral territory here. I have violated some ethics of the universe that I had no idea that's, that putting, show you on your rice. I said, well, rice doesn't have taste. She goes, of course it does. Well, it's like saying a potato has taste, you know? I mean, a little bit, but you don't just say, wow, I, just love that potatoy taste, you know? And she's like, it barely has any taste. You've got to put something on it. And I go, you put stuff on your rice. You, you sprinkle nodi. It's seaweed, you know, broken seaweed. You put that on top of your rice. That's okay. All right, wait, wait a second. You know how these arguments work, right? Okay, wait a second. So you can put a little bit of seaweed on top of your rice, but I can't put anything on my rice because I don't want to put seaweed on. So if I don't put seaweed on, I have to... And I go, so why is it wrong? Why is it wrong? It's an insult. To the rice? <laughs> he goes, no, it's an insult to the person who cooked it. I said, the rice pot cooked it. <laughs> no, it's an insult to... I mean, we went round and round and round. I go, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. It's like saying you can't put butter on the potato because you insult the potato. 
We had around, 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 and, and finally it just turned into two cultures. Two cultures. I'm coming with my Southern California. My my culture is, you know, I'm 100% German eth in ethnicity, but I'm my culture is Southern California beach culture. That's circa 1969. You know, that's that's what I relate to. You know, play the Doobie Brothers and stuff. Ooh. Um, and so, so I come from this 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 culture and she comes from this other culture and all of a sudden we're trying to live together and work things out and then we have children okay and now they're going to get in the middle of the culture and so the way it ended up the way and it's you know it's been a prickly issue for 25 years and it's, it's still a little bit is because the way we worked out is, is like all right here's the deal if i go to your mother's house because it's your japanese family i will eat my rice but we live together and we're trying to work this out together in two cultures so you can put whatever you don't want or want on your rice and I'll put whatever I want on mine because I'm kind of a ketchup guy you know you know those guys if you guys are ketchup people you don't eat eggs just because you like eggs you eat eggs because you need an excuse to put ketchup on something you know that that's that right I mean, it's all about the ketchup, and then you just find some food that will take ketchup, lettuce, you know, anything that'll take ketchup, and you pour it on top. And, and so I actually have even gone, to, she says I'm barbaric, because I, now I put barbecue sauce on my rice and stir it all up. But the kids, the kids, if she's home, they have to eat their rice plain. But if it's just the kids and I, they can put whatever they want on it, you know? So they have no idea what world they're in. You know, it all depends. They got to check who's walking through the door, that kind of a thing. Now, that creates an interesting tension, all right? And we've managed to sort of work it out. Somebody's phone's ringing. You can turn that off anytime you want. Um, <laughs> but we've managed, we've, we've managed to live in this interesting tension. But, it, you know, it's one of those kind of things that... that those constant irritants that make you go, wow, you know, we survived 25 years, it's so good, because of rice. <laughs> well, what I want to submit to you this morning is that the world that we live in, as believers, has an interesting tension to it as well. Because really, we have not been called to be part of two cultures. The secular culture the culture of this world, whatever, whatever is going on in, in politics or in the little community you live in, the values from, that you come out of, the values that swirl around us and move like a river and change and mold and shape and turn things that are cool and uncool, we've, we've not been called to be part of that culture anymore. We've been called to be immigrants into a brand new culture. And if you read the Gospels, you, you find this popping up all the time. Because what Jesus called it, he says, you know, he called it the kingdom of heaven. Or the kingdom of God. In fact, if you read through the Gospels with a marker and you, you mark down every, every time Jesus says that, what you'll find is he's always referring to a whole new set of values, a whole new set of realities, a whole new set of the way things ought be. And he's always saying stuff, well, yeah. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And it's not like anything that you're doing here. It's not like the things that everybody's grabbing onto and holding here. It's completely and radically different. And as believers, we are called to be not one foot in this culture and one foot in that culture. We are called to renounce our citizenship in this world and to go full-on, head-first, completely enveloping ourselves in a brand-new culture that's completely foreign and alien to us and oftentimes doesn't make any sense. In fact, oftentimes is the antithesis of the very world that we live in that, and, the, and the values that our neighbors and school friends and everybody else holds. Completely upside down from the way that they live. And it, it takes, some, takes some learning figure out what that is. So I want to share with you a little bit, but let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to look into God's word just for a moment and see what Jesus himself has to say about that. Father, I just ask right now that you might speak to us. You might move the cobwebs out of our brain. You might use just a mere mortal 
to share with us insights about who you are and who you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So the disciples, the disciples, you know, they've been hanging around Jesus three years, and they were immersed in a culture. It was, it was not only a, a religious culture, the, the, the Jewish culture of the day, but they were, they were immersed in, in the, the Roman culture that surrounded them, that was infecting every aspect of Jewish life. And they were immersed in the values of their little village, their little fishing village, many of them. They, they, they like you, had all these, all these strings of culture coming in, helping to mold and create and, and make marionettes out of them, puppets out of them, that help move them and animate them and give them what's really important, what to worry about, what not to worry about, what, you know, how to behave and how to live and what values and what to put on their rice. Okay? They had all those things. And after three years and countless, countless lectures at the feet of Jesus, they still hadn't really sorted it out. Because it got down to the very end, to the, to the Lord's Supper, right down to the very end. And they were still messing around, trying to, trying to put their lives together and, and evaluate each other and figure out their futures based on a whole different economy than what Jesus had been talking to them about for three years. And they actually started getting a fight about who was going to be the greatest. We're going to pick this up Luke chapter 20, 22, uh, starting verse 24. Within minutes, and this is right after the Lord's Supper, the disciples were bickering over, over which of them would end up being the greatest. And Jesus intervened. He says, look, kings, kings like to throw their weight around. And people in authority, they like to give themselves fancy titles. But it is not to be that way with you. That's not how you're going to behave. That's not how it's played. Let the senior among you be, act like the junior. Let the leader act the part of a servant. I mean, who would you rather be? The one who eats the dinner or the one who serves the dinner? You'd rather eat and be served, right? Yeah. Because, but that's not how it is. It's, I've taken my place among you as the one who serves. And you've stuck with me through thick and thin. And now, now... I confer royal authority of my Father on, that is on me, and it's going to be on you, so that you can eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and be strengthened as you take up responsibilities among the congregations of God's people. In other words, the way I did it, it's the kingdom way. And I've, I'm giving you the responsibility to behave that way and to lead that way among God's people, so they can see what it is to be a citizen of that realm. Every one of us has a, has a culture. You have a culture. You know, it's St. Patty's Day. Some of you are, are wearing green, you know, because you're Irish. Some of you are wearing green because you're afraid somebody's going to pinch you. Some of you are just wearing green because it seems like a fun excuse to wear green, you know. But, but we all have a, we all have a background when it comes to it. Some of it's define who we are by our ethnicity. You know, you'll hear people, well, I'm, I'm this or I'm that. And they, you know, they sort of, I'm. And some people are just, well, I'm, I'm Heinz 57. You know, I have no idea what I am, you know. My, my sister, my three sisters were raised, um, they're all from different, they're all adopted and they're all from different ethnicities. We're all raised in the same exact culture, Southern California beach culture, 60s and 70s, right? But my one sister, by ethnicity, was 100% American Indian, 100%. So when my mom died um, a number of years ago, she, she kind of eventually made the, the route, to, to, like a lot of adopted kids do, to go, I'm going to go kind of find my birth family. I'm just curious. I'm curious as to what they, they are. And she discovered that um, while her birth mother was, had passed away, she discovered um, her auntie and stuff were still alive, and they lived in an Indian reservation in Arizona. So she decided to go down and check them out. I remember her coming back to me going, I'm so glad I was raised in the family I was raised in. I was, I, it, I'm so glad I was adopted. you know, Because she did not relate at all to the culture that her ethnicity came from. She still framed, even though she looked like them, she framed herself 
in the culture that we had been raised in. So she was con convoluted. But she was smart enough to sign up to be an official Indian so she gets 1600 bucks a month from the government, you know, just for being an Indian. I mean, <laughs> I applied, but they wouldn't let me. They wouldn't let me. So maybe you, maybe you just, you go, well, I'm just, my culture, I'm just an American, all right? Well, all cultures, all cultures, we have our ethics, we have our rules, we have our preferences, and, and, and you know, and we have our prejudices of things that, that you do this and you, and you don't do that. Every culture has that. Your culture has those same kind of things that you do and don't do. I just came from Christmas Island where... Uh, in school, the schoolrooms, I, I, I taught some illustration for uh, the public school there. Um, and schoolroom is a concrete floor. Okay, walls and a concrete floor. Every kid sits on the concrete floor. That, you know, an hour on the concrete floor is kind of rough on the buns. So I was looking around for a pillow or something to sit on. There was no pillows. People just parked themselves on the concrete floor. And it's a good thing I didn't find a pillow. Because later on, after towards the end of my trip, I learned that if, in that culture, if you take a pillow and you sit on it, they can never use the pillow again. They have dirty butts or something. I have no idea, but I couldn't figure out the deal on that, you know? But, man, if in a world where you sit on a concrete floor, pillows are the first things you go for. But not there. You know, not there. It would have been a real cultural faux pas to, to do that. Um, inexpensive in pillows. So we all, come, we all come with these ideas, and whether they come from our family or they come from the culture, the realm that we live in, people we go to school with, the people we go to work in, we're saturated by media, by all the things that shape us into having a worldview, even into having a culture, even if it's the American culture. But I've got some really bad news for you, and you may take umbrage at this, but Christianity, real Christianity, is hostile to your culture. It's, it's poison. Any time real Christianity gets into a culture, it begins to poison it, but with a, in a good way. It, it kills off the bad stuff. It's a spiritual roundup, you know? And it begins to kill off all the stuff in any culture that isn't kingdom culture. And in some cultures, it virtually destroys 90% of that culture. Some cultures, maybe less. But it begins to get in and infect because it is a culture unto itself. And it wants to invade and it wants to take over. That's the nature of Christianity, is to change cultures. Because you can't be dual, a dual citizen and have and have ownership in this world and ownership in the kingdom, it just makes you crazy. It makes you ineffective. It makes you confused. You don't know which way to go. Kind of reminds me, remember that old movie, Invasion of the Body Snatchers? You know? Where, where from these alien pus, big seed pods come down and, and they, you know, the aliens, their whole job was to slip the seed pod under somebody's bed and when they fall asleep during the night, somehow mystically the seed pod comes and takes over, and when they wake up in the morning, they look the same, they have the same memories, they have, this, they have the same, you know, same appetites and everything, except they're totally different people. That's exactly what the kingdom of heaven wants to do. It's going to keep your memories, it's going to keep who you are, it's going to keep your same appetites, but it's going to change us dramatically into totally different people. God wants the good infection, is his point. Every culture, by the way, has, has values and an economy. Things that they go, this is really important. Even, even, you know, we all have money. And American money works pretty much most, most of the world, but it doesn't work everywhere. I remember when I was 18 years old, I went to, to Bible school in the United Kingdom. And to my shock and surprise, they wouldn't accept dollars. I had to cash in all my, all my American money for British money. I had no idea what these coins meant. And everything was weird because the biggest coin that they had was the least valuable, you know? So I was like, oh my gosh. And it took me quite a while to sort through their economy, figure out what was of worth, what wasn't of worth. 
In fact, for a number, number of weeks, I just would walk up if I needed to buy something. I'd walk up and just hold out a hand of coins and let the, let the person at the counter just pick through what I was, you know, like a stupid American. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Every culture has, has an economy. And what's really interesting is that, that those economies, while they put tremendous value on them, and they'll, they'll kill and die and sweat and work and get ulcers for the things that are of value in their economy, Really, most of that stuff doesn't matter a hill of beans in God's economy. I mean, heck, they sold Manhattan for seashells. That's what wampum was made of. It was made of seashells. You know where the seashells came from? They came from the beaches in the Northwest where they didn't mean anything. Indians pick up seashells. What are they? A million of these things. Hey, man, you know, they'll trade you land for them out east. Really? Yeah, stitch them together, see what happens. So they took what was of little worth here, and it became big worth, and you know, they sold New York and all kinds of other stuff for a string of seashells. And most of us are dealing in life, in an economy that has no worth. It's monopoly money to the kingdom of heaven. Buys nothing there. Buys nothing, no value, nothing. But we put all kinds of value on it in our culture. And God's going, what, what are you wasting all your time on this? Why are you building bigger barns? Why are you got all these cares and worries? I'm going to take care of the, what you need. You know, you seek first the kingdom of heaven. That's the economy. It's all upside down. God's economy has, uh, has its values as well. And the values are usually reverse of ours. It, it goes like this. God's first. Other people second. And you? Yeah. If there's some time, then, then you can worry about you. But if you're really worried about God and putting your energy into other people, probably aren't going to have a little time for you. And you know what? You'll really enjoy that. Most of us reverse that. Out of order with God's economy. Even those of us who call ourselves Christians. The, the problem is, is that it's really hard for us to navigate. I mean, we are so, in, we are so entrenched in, in this world and the way this world thinks that it, it's really, that even in the church, we, we've sort of become confused. We've lost our moral compass. We've lost our theological compass. We we you know, look at what the world is doing, try to adjust our theology, see if we can make it fit. We, we, we adjust our behavior and our ethics and our moral. We, we've really lost our way in a lot of ways. We, we have a hard time even knowing what true north is. We, we take our hints and stuff from what the world is doing. And that's, that's difficult. And the reason is, of course, because most of us, we really don't know really, which way is God's? Because we haven't spent much time with, with his moral compass. Well, let me give you an illustration. I'm new in town, right? New in town. And we're going to go for a hike in the woods. All of us, together. It's a big hike. But suddenly we get down there and we go, oh my gosh, we're lost. The trail ends and we can't, you know, our bread, breadcrumbs have been eaten by birds or whatever it is. And now we, we can't find our way back. So I'm, I'm gonna, I say to you guys, okay, I'm new here. Which way's north? And this is, by the way, it's participation. Everybody has to play. Where would you point for me to go? Which way is north? Oh, now I'm really confused. <laughs> In the same row, I'm going this way, this way, this way, and some people that way, and some people just going, you know. I'm guessing that many of you aren't really sure. and Some of you won't even play. <laughs> okay? Because you don't need to go, oh, no, it's this way, it's that way. Well, you know what? I can help you. I'm going to find the answer to that real quick here. Here you go. Here you go. See if the janitor likes this. Um, oh, you can play too. Here, that's for you. All right. Those of you who found one of these things, take a, take a little bit of time. Take a look at it. Now tell me where's north. Some of you have no idea how to read this thing, I can tell. 
But if you've got it and you know how to read it, pretty soon we're all going to get on the same page. We're going to start pointing us all the same way. We're going to start pointing us north. Okay? But get this. Some of you are holding this and you have no idea. I have a compass. I know it's supposed to point me north, but I don't know what to do with it. Most of you have Bibles. They're going to point you north. They're going to point you God's direction. They're going to point you the way you ought go. But you know very little of what to do with it. You know how to open it. But you may not know how to read it. By the way, you can put these away and play with them later. If you know, um, I give you some of you toys and you're hopelessly lost. It's an object lesson, okay? I mean, come on. But you get the point. Because in Christian culture, oftentimes we've closed the Bible or haven't learned how to use it, and therefore we don't know which way God's directing us or guiding us. Cultures, cultures have different rules and different habits. God's kingdom has different rules and different habits, and it takes some learning. It takes some getting used to. It takes some breaking some old habits to get the new habits. I brought a bunch of kids up from Mexico. Um, when I lived in Southern California, I was a youth guy, and we went down to Tijuana, and I had an orphanage down there that I worked with on a regular basis, and I managed to finagle getting 25 kids up to my house. They came and lived at my house, camped out uh, um, in my living room floor uh, from this orphanage. And it was a very primitive little orphanage. Uh, in fact, when, I remember when the kids peeled off their shoes, it reeked so bad, we collected all the shoes, all the socks, threw them in the dumpster, took all the kids out, scrubbed their feet with a scrub brush, and then took them to the store and bought new shoes, which I thought was going to be pretty quick, you know, take them to one of those shoe mart places, but they'd never had, this is weird, they'd never been able to choose their own shoes in their whole life. And when they walked in and saw this wall of selection, they just, uh, I don't know where to start, you know, and so they were in there for three hours just pulling shoes out of the thing. Um, finally, we got everybody's shoes and socks, and we, we ended up at a park, a really, really nice public park. And the folks from the church were really kind. They made a bunch of lunches for them. They brought down lunches. And then they, that, they had all these cool rides that spin in a circle so you can throw up your lunch. And so the kids were down there just having a great time in this park. And this one little kid, Roberto, about nine years old, um, he had just finished his lunch. And he, had, he was eating out of a bag of chips. When he got done with his bag of chips, he crumpled the bag, little bag of chips up. And he just threw it on the grass on this really nice park. I went, ooh, that's not cool. Because I knew where they lived. I've been, you know, I've, I've walked in the area, and I, and I knew that, that that's what they did. Whenever they had trash, they just threw it on the ground. Okay? In fact, everybody in the community that they lived in, they had trash. The place was full of trash. I mean, we've been in those, those kind of countries where, you know, you just throw your trash on the ground. But we're in this really nice park. And I'm in charge of all these kids, and this kid just threw his trash on the ground. So I went over, got Roberto, and picked up the trash, and I walked him over to the trash can with it. And in California, they, they put um, in both English and Spanish in a lot of signs in this trash can in both English and Spanish. It, in, I read to him in Spanish, it says, there's a $150 fine for throwing, for littering. So don't, you know, throw your stuff in here because there's a $150 fine if you throw your stuff on the ground. So I read that to him. And everybody, he just looked up at me, and he, he looked at that sign, he looked up at me, and he goes, man, I'm sure glad I live in Mexico where you're free. <laughs> it never occurred to me to relate freedom to be able to throw your trash anywhere where you wanted, you know? But for him, man, we were the Gestapo or something, because, you know, we were stopping him from throwing his trash on the ground, and he equated freedom with that. He had a whole different culture. But I'll tell you this, if he's going to come live in our culture, he was going to have to figure out that lesson. I have a lot of people angry at him. We gently, to new immigrants, explain how it works in our culture. And to new immigrants into God's kingdom, they come with all their weird baggage and their bad habits and how they've always done it and what was normal to them. And we gently, gently say, you know what? That's not how we think here. That's, that's not how we speak to each other here. That's not 
how we deal with problems here. That's not how we deal with annoying people here. That's not things we celebrate here. That's not what we as a family do here. We have a whole different thing that we do here. And if you want to call yourself by our family name, this is what our family does. We have a different culture than what you're used to. And you're going to have to learn our culture if you're going to be part of God's family. God's people have a different sense of hygiene. You know, I remember when I, I traveled in a, in a third world country once and you get on a bus in a third world country and it's, it's quite an amazing experience for your nose. Um, it's just, whoo, you know? And especially when they're hanging onto the straps and it's hot. And you're going, oh, where do I turn? Where can I breathe? I'll just hold my breath for 45 minutes. Um, I remember talking to one of my buddies down there, and he goes, who was a, a national, and, and, and I mentioned, you know, you guys should really, you should discover the joys of deodorant or something, you know, not that they could afford it. He goes, you know, I can tell when Americans are around. How? They all smell like soap. There's a smell that you have when you're in the kingdom. The odor of God, the fragrance of God that other people don't have. And, and as I'm talking about cultures, I've got to be honest with you, there's, there's not just the secular culture. There's a church culture that's not the kingdom culture. It's a church culture. It may have some things in common with kingdom culture, but it's got a lot of other weird little things in it that make it not kingdom culture. It becomes a church culture. It, it, it values things that our world values and kind of puts a spiritual frosting over it. And a lot of times we just buy into it. We just, because we, you know, we're part of it, we just accepted it, that this is kingdom culture, but it's, it's not. It's completely different from kingdom culture. I'll give you another example. Um, in the early church, the early church was made up of, of people that I think you know, they came from they, all kinds of different streams of culture meshing in. They had Romans there, they had, they had slaves, people who were owned by other people, had no rights. It was, you know, caste systems of all kinds of, of individuals. And they, they were all collectively coming to the church. They were, they were guys who were steeped in Judaism. They were guys who were Jews that were from outside Judea, and they were called Hellenistic Jews because they had more culturally in common with the Romans than they did with the Judean Jews. And all these guys are becoming Christians. All these guys are sitting down together in church together. And Paul had to say, you know, you can't be looking at each other because you look at each other and you see the Roman citizen, he gets to wear a toga. That showed that you're a Roman citizen. The slave, he had to wear a little uniform of a slave guy. He goes, but when we look at each other, you know, when we come together in our, in our culture, there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no slave, there's no free man, there's no male, there's no female. I mean, it's not, we're not judging each other by those standards. We're not, we're not all of a sudden mixing it all up. Instead, we have this whole new way we define who we are and what we're about. That's who we are and what we're about. And even when it came, when it came to the rank and file, they had all these guys, all these knuckleheads from all these different levels of society. And, and Paul reached in and he said, okay, I'm going to give you a title for who you are. This is how, how you think of who you are. You're all priests. Well, that was, that's the highest position in the Jewish theological realm. And he gave the average common guy that title. The average common guy, he says, you're now a priest. And then the leaders of the church, the leaders of the church, he gave them a title as well. We, we've used versions of those titles that are taken from the original language. A lot of us don't realize what the original titles were. We, we call the leaders of our church pastor, you know, I had somebody staying with me, and they kept wanting to call me Pastor Rick. Pastor Rick, Pastor Rick. And it always, you know, it really kind of bugs me, okay? Just call me, I said, hey, just call me Rick. 
you know? Pastor, that's what I'm due, but don't, don't call me. I don't, want, I don't want that title because, it, you know, it's weird like in restaurants. You know, people turn their heads and, and you know, it's just, it's just kind of weird. It, it sets me apart into a different class. And I don't want to be separated from everybody. I want, to, I want not to people to think of me in, in a pastoral class. I want to be Rick, who, who happens to be a pastor. So I said, if you're going to keep doing that to me, let's just, let's just go all the way. I want to be called your holiness. You know? <laughs> if you're going to call me, son, just, let's just go all the way. That's really what I want to be called, all right? She wouldn't do that. Um, <laughs> but we call him pastor. But you know, pastors just meant shepherd. <laughs> Now, that has, that's a low-class job. Or manager, overseer, elder. That's, that's, that word just be, basically means a manager. So when somebody goes, yeah, what, do you, what, what are you? I'm a manager. Oh, yeah, well, you're a manager. You know? and, and the guys who were deacons, that meant they were table waiters. So the early church, the titles that they gave guys were not titles that were designed to bring any grandeur to them, but they were really basic descriptions of what they do from a common everyday world. They weren't trying to create a clergy culture or anything like that. Instead, they were just saying, hey, you know, we, we lead by serving. A lot of times we, we trend right along with modern culture. If modern culture goes this way, the church goes that way. It's really kind of weird, you know? We, we find, or we go the other direction, we isolate ourselves and insulate ourselves create our own little Christian bubble, only listen to Christian music, only, only have Christian friends and all that kind of stuff, instead of infecting the world, we isolate ourselves from it and insulate ourselves from it. Whereas we're called not to be of this world, but we're called to be in this world. And in, in, in essence, we have this good disease we're trying to keep trying to give away. This great odor about us that we keep hoping people will sense. Sometimes even when we get together on Sunday mornings, we come in with a whole different mindset. We don't come in to go, you know what? I just need to be with other believers and, and worship the living God. But instead we come in and go, well, I wonder what's there for me today. I wonder if that knucklehead from, Kauai, from Hawaii is going to be any good. You tell enough jokes, am I going to get something out of it? I don't get something out of it. Why did I spend my time? Why do I? We come saying, what's, you know, what's there for me? Rather than, Hey, how can I be here and serve? How can I just be here and just honor God? Just, you know? We, we come with this whole different kind of thing. Who's going to speak to me today? Who's going to acknowledge me today? And oftentimes when we get together, we, we create this church culture that isn't kingdom culture. So, for me, I've, 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 tried, to, I've tried to break some of that within our own community. I refuse to lead people to Jesus who have been brought to me by other people so that I can lead them to Jesus. I refuse. Not because I don't want them to come to Jesus. Because I think that person that's bringing them, if they know Jesus, that's their job. Why don't you pray with them? I just don't know what. Just tell them your story and pray with them. Don't bring them here so that I do all the heavy lifting. Your job is to do that. That's kingdom culture. We each tell our story to the people that we infect. You know, we don't have an altar. We have a coffee table. That's where people come to Christ. So I've tried to break kingdom culture by saying, you know, it's a responsibility. And if you're here last year and you heard me speak, it's a responsibility for every family in our church who's able, even if it means a sacrifice for them, to do something for somebody else to change the life of somebody else. Because we, every day we open up a refrigerator that's full, we drive ourselves to work, we, we, we spend money in all kinds of nonsense, and yet there's people all around the world that, whose lives could be turned upside down with just a little bit of, of what we got. That's why we have created this new normal in our church. If you could become part of our community of faith, all the leadership teams bought into this, everybody's bought into this, that, that, man, any family in our church, you want to be part of our church, one of the things we say is, you know what? One of the things we do is we all, as a family, outside of our giving to the regular church, we all 
sponsor some kid through world vision, compassion, or some other thing, but we directly, as, our, as families, we all get involved. So everybody's got like a refrigerator kid, you know, that we send 38 bucks a month to so that this kid will have a shot at life, at health, at education, and hearing about Jesus. That's the new normal. And if it means you go without some lattes or you give up Netflix or what, so what? When we stand before God, are we going to go, well, you know, I couldn't really do that because I had to have Netflix. That's going to play so well. <laughs> so I, I want to I do things that are the way the kingdom does. I want to celebrate I want to celebrate the people everybody walks by. I want to find the treasures of the church and dig them out and polish them and say, look, look who we have with us. You would never know their story. I want to tell their story. I want people to all of a sudden value other people. We've got this guy in our church. He's 92 years old. Okay? He wears these big headsets because he's kind of hard of hearing, so he has to amplify in the messages. And he, he, kind of, he doesn't, you know... He doesn't really have too many other 92-year-olds that he's hanging out with. We have a lot of kids in our church, and they just walk by him, walk by him. He's just this old guy. And so I said, you know, I, I don't want people to walk. This guy's got 92 years on this earth. I bet he's got some cool stories. So we sat down with him, started to get to know him. <laughs> Turns out, in World War II, he's a lieutenant in World War II, and he won the Distinguished Service Cross, which is the second highest award that this country gives for courage and bravery, by charging across a river on, a, on the Rhine River um, into Germany with, with a pair of clippers, okay, wire cutters, while his men were shooting at the Germans to keep their head down, cutting bombs on this big bridge so that Patton could get his tanks across. Okay? All by himself. He got shot doing it. But he managed to fuse every single bomb so they could get into Germany and end the war weeks earlier than they were able to before. Nobody knew that this guy had done that. We took, told his story, shot a little video, put this guy up on screen. All of a sudden, every 14-year-old was over there trying to get their picture with the guy. <laughs> you know? He was a treasure in the church, but we didn't even know what he had done. I want to celebrate those kind of people. I want to find them, and I want to, I want to force people to discover those treasures for themselves. We, we actually mandate that our body get to know each other, which I know is really weird, because we like to get to know the people that are kind of our age group, kind of going through our deal in life, and, and there's a bunch of people that we see, we wave at them, but we really don't know them. We don't, we don't know anything about their story. I have no idea what they've been through, and some of them have done crazy good things, and some of them have had train wrecks, and, and, and that, that God has miraculously pulled them out of, but every one of us has something, even if we're young, that makes us interesting when you sit down and start talking to them and, and we learn from and that we respond to. And I, wanna, I want our people to know those people. So we do this crazy thing. You don't have to participate, but if you don't, you're a jerk. You know? and, and the way we do it is we just get a, three, we get a little card and we pass it out on Sunday morning with a pen. You write your name, your address, and your phone number in it, and you take the card, and you put it back in a basket, and then we pass that basket back around again, and you pull out a card. You can't pull out your own name, but you pull out a card, and then within two or three weeks, you have to take that person out for a meal. Now, if you're a high school kid, you got to pay for it. Now, it could be at McDonald's. It could be a breakfast. It could be a lunch, you know, but you got to cough it up for it. You can pay for that, for that other person, take them out for a meal. There's little rules on the back so that if you know, if it's two single people, they meet in a public place or something like that, so it's not a date or anything weird or funky like that. It's just an opportunity to get to know people that you never knew before. We even give little suggested ways to get a conversation going, and you meet somebody in the body, spend time over coffee, a meal with them. And it's a shame we, we have to come up with gimmicks like that to get us to do what the church ought to do naturally. Those are a few thoughts. I, I have a postscript to all of this that I want to share, but we're going to do now what the church does and ought to do naturally as we take the Lord's Supper and begin to reach into our pockets and go, what can I give you? Here's a bunch of it. it they don't mean nothing here. I'm going to throw it in the plate. 
Grab a seat for just a second more. Let me just give you a wrap-up on these ideas. The last communion I had was, uh, was on Christmas Island, and uh, with people who singing songs, I didn't understand the words. Um, gave a message, I didn't understand a darn thing of it, but all of a sudden when it came to this point, I understood what we were doing. Even though communion was, uh, was served in shot glasses that said aloha on them, with a faint taste, I think at one time, whatever was in there had been a Kool-Aid of some sort, uh, cherry, sort of pinkish. The bread, when it came around, um, we're looking at it, it looked vaguely like Pringles, broken in pieces, limp, because they'd been out in humidity for a while, and ants crawling all over them. We took them up, dusted them off. They were jalapeno, actually. Um, <clears throat> But it meant the same thing. It meant the same thing. It was, it was a symbol of what we do when we get together as, as believers. We, we rejoice in the, in the cool thing that God's done, to the fact that he's, he's allowed us, who were born in a whole different realm, to be adopted into this whole new citizenship, to be, to be, be taken in and naturalized through his blood, in, into a whole new citizenship. It's really cool. And, and to be honest with you, I have to work with my people all the time to get them out of church culture, to get them out of secular culture, to try to get them into kingdom culture. And it's a process. It's a process for me. Because I find oftentimes I'm, doing, I'm measuring by all the wrong standards, all the wrong, trying to use all the wrong economy other than kingdom culture. And sometimes, it's, sometimes we have to do weird little things to get people to get it. Like I've always wondered how come... In church, the front couple rows are absolutely empty. I, I assume here it's because your, your pastor normally spits. Um, but, <laughs> but I always wonder, why are they all, you know, if, if Jesus was here, would these be empty? No, you know. Uh, and, and in our church, we sort of solved that. We, we just bought really nice sofas and put them down front. And now, you know, it's always full. Um, you know, there's certain ways to get to people. But what we're trying to do is say, look, when we get together, this... This isn't just someplace, it's not a pay-per-view, we just come and do this and we run off to our homes. I mean, we talk about, oh, we come together and we fellowship, but oftentimes I, in, in a community of faith, I don't see a whole lot of fellowshipping going on because we, we sit by people, we don't talk to them. We, as soon as it's done, we say, hi, 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 and then gone to whatever we got planned for the day, lunch, or whatever it is. And, and so I, I keep going, okay, there's, there's got to be a way to do that because the early church, I mean, you know why they met on Sunday mornings. That was the first work day. They were all going to work, but they got up super early on Sunday morning, and they met together, people from all kinds of different things, and, and they, they, they celebrated the Lord's Supper, but it was more like a, like a meal. And they, they sang together, they laughed together, they talked together, they, then they went out and did their own things. They, they were part of a community. Was, they were full of joy. They did it because they were celebrating the fact that on, on, a, on a Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the dead. And they were coming together basically just to have a great time with each other and enjoy each other. So this morning I've arranged for you to enjoy each other. And the way it works is this way. When you leave, I bought you ice cream. Because <laughs> I just found when you got a, you know, when you got a bar of ice cream in your hand. And you're standing around, and, the, and the, here's the rules. If you take the ice cream, you just can't run to your car eat it. I've got my ice cream. Leave me alone. I'm going home. I'll save it. You got to stand around until it's dripping on your fingers and enjoy each other's company. Talk to somebody. Hang out. When you're done with your ice cream, you're free to go you know, do whatever you want to do. But grab that bar of ice cream and enjoy each other's company. Learn a new rhythm. Learn a new citizenship, learn a new way, because we're all going to be in that kingdom together. Might as well learn the rules of the kingdom and the cadence of the kingdom before we get there. God bless you. Thank you for letting me share with you this morning. <laughs>